You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. This is part five on the kingdom of God, and I'm going to speak this morning on pursuing the kingdom of God. Pursuing the kingdom of God. What does it look like? What is it? Um, when you actually, the kingdom of God cannot be a kingdom without a a king. And so, one of the things we see throughout the Gospels, we see two. Uh, there's more, but we see at least we see at least two things. We see the character of Jesus, the kindness, the goodness, the honesty, all those amazing characteristics. But we also see that as he represents the king in this kingdom that he wants us all to participate in, we also see um, the manifestation of that kingdom in power or in activity or in things you can actually see that change people's lives and situations. So we're going to look a little bit um, at what it means to pursue the kingdom and um, this is really something on my heart because God wants to help so many people in so many, so many different ways. So let's um, look at this. We have a slide of Matthew 6, 9 through 15. And this is um, a prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Why don't we read this together? Some of you may know it by heart. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen. Yes, yes. In this manner, pray. The interesting thing about what's been called the Lord's Prayer is that it's more of a proclamation than an appeal or request. Matter of fact, um, when you look at uh, the particular uh, verse, that verse 10 your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a request, but it's a proclamation in agreement with what Jesus has shown us to be his will. We are simply agreeing with Jesus and we're making a proclamation by faith of the very thing Jesus wants us to have, knows we can have, and encourages us to go after. Um, in my research, I found that uh, I looked at the what, what's the actual verb tense, which makes a difference. So literally, this could read this way. Your reign come. Let's just say your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Or it could be, let your kingdom come now. Why don't we say that together? Let your kingdom come now. Well, we know the fullness, the full-blown manifestation of this kingdom will be when the king returns. But if there were not manifestations, impartations, and demonstrations um, of that kingdom, Jesus' basic gospel message would not be called the gospel of the kingdom of God or the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Depends on if you're reading Matthew or the other gospels. So, this verb tense is in the form of a command. Do you know when God tells you to say something, you can command it and have faith? 
in it coming to pass. It's the power of agreement. Now, we can't just come up with something and do that, right? But here we see the aorist imperative tense, which calls for effective action and even a sudden instantaneous coming or action. So I think that's great. So Jesus taught us that we should expect the kingdom of God to manifest now. He told and he taught us to pray for it to come. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God himself. John the Baptist did himself. The other apostles and disciples did as well. He demonstrated that kingdom through not only the amazing character and kindness and sacrificial love, but he, that was a manifestation of the kingdom too. Jesus was the perfect example of what the kingdom would look like in a human form, if you can want to say it that way. But he demonstrated that kingdom also through miracles, through healings, through signs and wonders, as well as by his truth-based merciful behavior. And he authorized his disciples to do the same, and the reason we have the Bible is we have as well been authorized. We can expect, we can believe. Now, there are some problems. How many of you realize there's some problems and there are things we don't understand? Anybody out there? Yes, this would be an appropriate time to scratch your head if you would like. Oh, but you don't have to. Okay. Hey, I've got one guy on the front row. Thanks, Hunter. A few on the back. I see the Dickmans back there waving at me. You know, uh, Mike and Laura, they're actually two rows further back you could have sat on this morning. But, uh, <laughs> oh, that's terrible, isn't it? Uh, but she's good with it. She gave me the high sign. Was that what that was? I hope that's what that was. <laughs> oh, I think uh, we probably just ought to go home now. Anyway, the Jewish leaders did not understand when the kingdom would come. Many had their own ideas of what it should look like. A Jewish victory over their Roman oppressors, a political kingdom, the establishment of Israel as a predominant world power. And the problem was not only did the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Hebrew leaders believe that, Jesus' disciples and apostles pretty much had that same viewpoint. That's what they thought the Messiah would be when he came, is that he would take over, banish all their oppressors, and establish a kingdom the way they thought a kingdom would be established in the kind of kingdoms they saw all over the world. So when will the kingdom come in the way I'm talking about? Okay, Luke 17, 20 and 21 says this. Now, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Now, let me read that again. The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here, see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So what does that mean? The kingdom of God does not come by observation. It doesn't come by observing or looking for something like the Pharisees were. In other words, they wanted to see some kind of a grand event, introductory episode, grand opening official, indisputable, observable event that they could find fault with, uh, that they could observe. But no, the kingdom of God does not come by passive looking for it, but it comes by perception and it comes by faith. And the Bible says it's inside of us, and when it first came, it came like a seed. Isn't that like the Lord? Completely different than we think. That's what it is to be fallen. We think we know what God's like. The only problem is God's the way he is, not the way we think he is. That's the challenge. What's he really like? That's why we're here today. See some of this. So Jesus taught that his kingdom would have a small beginning the size of a mustard seed, but it would grow eventually into a large thing. So it's like a small seed 
dropped into the ground, and then it grows. Jesus actually said about himself, unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it'll multiply. It'll bear much fruit. So Jesus actually, by his very own life, demonstrated what the kingdom was like. It starts small. It starts insignificant. It goes through difficult times. But difficult times, for some strange reason, could be the very thing that releases the power that's in it. See, we don't, how many of you wake up every morning and say, Lord, I'd like a little bit more trouble today? Well, none of us, none of us. But um, somehow there's something that can happen to us in difficult circumstances that's really valuable, that's really important if we don't carry the bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment things along. That'll defile it. Also in Daniel chapter 2, 32 through 35, in a prophetic vision, Daniel sees a small pebble or a small stone and it falls and it destroys this incredible statue. And that statue represented all the historic world kingdoms. And then the most amazing thing happens. That small stone becomes a great mountain that filled the whole earth. And ultimately, it doesn't look like it now, but ultimately, the kingdom of God will cover the entire world. Now, do you know that parts of the Bible say that God wants to live here? You ever thought about that? Parts of the Bible that see the temple coming down? It's really interesting. I'm not saying we don't go up. But I'm saying God's coming down. Now, that's sort of an overall picture of this kingdom in maybe a governmental fashion. But I want to look at how the kingdom comes in this personal activity, healing or miracle or impartation or change of situation or blessing way. And I want to say Three things. It comes by perception. You've got to perceive it. It comes by pursuit. You have to go after it. You can't be passive. And it comes by faith. Okay. It comes by, what's the first one? Perception. It comes by what? Pursuit. You cannot be passive or you won't access it. And then it comes by faith. You do something. So, now, I am going to, and I've taught this before, and I'm going to talk just for a brief moment. I've got whole messages on this topic on what it is to be born again. Now, so that you, let me say, I believe you need to be born again to go to heaven when you die. Everybody, that's what a lot of people say born again is. Well, yes, you have to. That's great. One problem I have, though, in John 3, where Jesus speaks the most about being born again, he he is answering a question that Nicodemus, the ruler of Israel, the teacher of Israel, rather, who was the one who monitored all the doctrines floating around the nation to be sure they were kosher or not, he sneaks into Jesus at night because Jesus is doing these unparalleled miracles. They have never seen anything like it. And the problem they have is they don't know who he is. He didn't go to their schools. They weren't his rabbis. He was living in a despised little town of Nazareth. Rumor had it his mother had him illegitimately. So suddenly... This Jesus of Nazareth is doing unparalleled, remarkable miracles. And so Nicodemus comes to him and basically is asking this one question. That question was not, how do I know I'll go to heaven when I die? It was, he said, we know you're a man sent from God, for no man can do this unless God is with him. And Jesus interrupts him and answered and said to him, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus, in all his wisdom, says, how can a man be born when he's old? Crazy question here. Can he enter the second time at his mother's womb and be born? He obviously did not understand what Jesus was talking about. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, here's what Jesus was basically saying, and I've got this taught more extensively, and I believe what I teach about it is first meaning, not simply an application. Jesus was telling Nicodemus this, unless you're born of God, unless you're born from above by the Spirit of God, you cannot perceive the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus said this, um, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. That word see means perceive. It's like when you're doing a math problem. I know this would happen to me, and I just didn't get it. I worked and worked and worked, and suddenly I got it, and I said what? Oh, I, I see. I perceive. understand. Well, one of the primary things that should happen to a person who's born again is they should be able, they should begin being aware that there's another kingdom. They should be able to discern there's something else going on here than what I thought. They should be being sensitive to this realm that Jesus proclaimed as his primary message, repent for what is at hand, the kingdom of heaven. Okay, um, I'm not going to say a whole lot more about that, but how does the kingdom come? Well, Jesus basically said, if you're not born again, you won't even pursue it. I mean, you won't even perceive it. Walk right by it. Now, it also comes by pursuit. Matthew eleven twelve, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. This is a strange verse, and the violent take it by force. By force, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence take it by force. What in the world does that mean? Well, another translation says, from the days of John the baptizer until this moment, the kingdom of heaven is being taken by storm and the strong and forceful ones claim it for themselves eagerly. Or you could say this, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is being seized and the energetic take it by force, experiencing the reality of the kingdom of God does not just happen. If you're passive about it, you will not likely experience it. And so many people um, uh, in the past have told me, well, I'm open to what God wants to do. Not going to work. Open. And I like to say this because I'm so clever and I think it's a really cool example. Next time you go on vacation, leave your house open. Here's what will happen. Stuff you wish you still had to be gone. People, things, animals will be in there that you wish weren't there. That's open. Open will not get you into your destiny. It won't. It won't. If you want to be passive, you're not going to get where you need to go. You're not. You're not. There's so many things in the Christian faith that are simply not automatic. Now, you can't be passive. Here's, here's something. More people get healed when I pray for them than the number of people that get healed when I ignore them. But do people get healed? Some of them. I wish all of them did. But but some of them do. And I've seen some very miraculous um, episodes. I'll talk about one in a minute. Um, 
Okay, the kingdom comes by what? Perception, but then it comes by pursuit. Well, then it also comes by faith. What does faith look like? Well, you know, trust and faith are similar, but they're different. Um, you can be trusting God and, uh, and what you do in regards to that trust is nothing, right? Because you're, you're trusting God. But there's an aspect of faith that is an act. There's something you do. There's a response. Um, I can't, I just can't get away from this. I need to, Mike Dickerman, I was joking with him in the back publicly, which is a great thing I get to do that he's not able to do because he doesn't have the microphone. But we had a building across from the Visualite um, a number of years ago before we came here, and we had a men's meeting. And uh, Mike came to the men's meeting, and um, I said, hey, at some point, I don't know how this came up. There are probably 15 or 20 of us. I says, hey, why don't we pray for people? If you're sick or have something, we'll pray for you. And so um, Mike said to the best of my, some of this I'm exactly right about because I called him, called him yesterday and confirmed it. Some of this I may be fuzzy on the details. But if I remember it right, Mike grew up on the mission field and he had some motorbike accidents. He tore his back up some way, shape, or form. And they actually put some rods in his back. Is that correct, Mike? Got that so far? So Mike told me yesterday, because I was calling him to ask him about this episode, um, he said he would have two, three, or several back spasms every day, painful back spasms every day. And like most of us, we learn to live with our problems, right? We learn to live with some of our aches and pains. Um, so anyway, we prayed for Mike. And as I remember it, as we were praying for him, and I think this is what he told me, a warmth or a heat or something, I don't know if it came down your back or just came all sort of a gradual feeling, but the end of it was, and I checked with him yesterday, he has not had those back spasms since that day. Now, who had the hot hand in praying for him? I don't know. How does this all work? I don't know. I've been doing this since like 1968, and here's one thing I know. I don't know how it works. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. We asked the king. Uh, actually, I heard this guy preaching the other day, and he was quoting, I think it was out of Acts 19, how God, God worked. Who worked? God worked unusual miracles. How? Through the hands of Paul. Who, who worked? Paul? God. How? Through Paul's hands. Well, Paul, you healed me. No, I didn't heal you. I laid hands on you. God healed you. That's as close as I come to it. God works. Now, that was not the most unusual um, thing that happened that night, although that was wonderful, and Mike would have been happy if that's all that happened. But there was a guy sitting next to me, Rusty Shields, who's a Charlotte police officer, and as we're praying for Mike and as Mike's getting healed, he says, hey, I'm feeling a little loose, and uh, it's the best I'm Rusty turns to me and says, I can smell. And I thought, you can smell what? Like there was an odor. I didn't know. He says, I can smell. I said, what? He said, and I don't remember how long. He said, I have had a deviated septum for years. And I work with drug dogs. I could not even smell marijuana if somebody was smoking it in the police car. Now, here's the strange thing. We were praying for Mr. Dickerman. And God healed Rusty. Nobody, nobody. Now, that's just, that we can't figure this out because it's more an art form than um, science, right? 
It's not 2 plus 2 equals 4, and it's not H2O equals water. It's how does this work? I don't know. Let's just do our part. Let's be aggressive. Let's try to help somebody. And the worst that could happen is nothing. Right? But what's the best that could happen? So what does faith look like? Well, that night, faith looked like us praying for Mike. Now, Faith is active in the context of which I'm speaking. It's like the little boy who in faith gave up his five loaves and two fish to feed the 5,000. I can't imagine the apostle strong-arming that little boy and taking his lunch away. I believe he thought, hey, I'll contribute. I'll give. So he gives his lunch. Now, faith is Jesus believing he can feed 5,000 people and women and children with nothing. That's faith. He just announces it. Faith is the apostle saying, everybody sit down. Lunch is on the way. What do they have? Five loaves of two fish. That's faith. Now, what if nothing happened? They would have looked stupid. They might have gotten beat up, depending on how hungry those guys were. I don't know. Now, If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, there are two different multitude feedings. There's a 5,000 and a 4,000. This is not the same one told several times with different numbers to it. There were two different ones. And here's the thing that ought to encourage the most. Both times, none of the apostles believed Jesus could do what he did. Why is that encouraging? It's encouraging because they learned They developed their faith. Their faith could grow. They didn't give up. They didn't stop because what happened in the past didn't work well. They just kept going. And at a given point, they realized we got nowhere else to go. We burned all our bridges. We got to make this thing work. You ever had a situation like that? Hey, we got to make this thing work. So, so, So many people live with options. I'm going to tell you, some days you wake up, you don't have an option. You got to figure this thing out. A little bit confrontational there. Sorry. But I think that's true. All right. Faith is like Jesus breaking and blessing. Five biscuits, two sardines said, here, here, this is all we need. Go take it. How did that, when did it multiply? I don't know. I don't understand how it happened. You either believe it did or you believe it didn't. And I, I, I believe it happened. But the apostles struggle with faith. If you struggle with faith, that's okay. It's a developmental process. Everybody has some, but you can grow it. Now, here's what I wanted to read too, talking about faith. I want to look at this about this desperate widow in 2 Kings 4. So I think you can read along with me here, can't you? You don't have to read this one. I'll read it, but just uh, sort of read and, and listen. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? And I don't know if he was saying, what do you want me to do? I don't know how he said that, but he probably He had that school of the prophets. He was probably really concerned for her. And he was wondering, what can I do? What shall I do for you? Suddenly, he goes from asking her that question to telling her this. Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she says, your maidservant has nothing in the house but what? A jar of oil. How big would a jar of oil be? It could be a flask. Wasn't huge. Could have been, uh, he was a prophet. It could have been one of those flasks that they use for anointing people. I don't know. It could have been, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't much. So here's what Elisha says. Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Now he's talking about pots. Could have even been drums because listen to what he was asking. Go, borrow Pots, vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. Well, what would the opposite of just a few be? Very many. 
And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So what, what Elisha did was he was saying, I want to help you. And then I think he got a sudden inspiration of a miracle brewing. So he says to her, what do you have? What does she describe what she has as? Nothing. What do you have? Nothing. See, everybody in this building's got more than they know. Somebody asks you, what do you have? You might say, well, not much. Well, sometimes not much is way more than enough. I think that's something worth considering. And so he gives them these instructions. When you've, okay, he says, now here's what you're going to do. Go get those pots. Now, when you've come in, shut the door behind you, you and your sons, and pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Okay, I read this 10 times. I said, Lord, there's more into this than I'm understanding. And Sutton struck me about and set aside the full ones. Here's what I believe Elisha was doing. Elisha at first was giving her faith instructions. But then I saw that phrase and set aside what? The full ones. Then he was giving her a vision for what was to come. In other words, Elisha wasn't just telling her what to do. He saw an outcome before the fact that he wanted her to see. See, all of these instructions before they actually left to get these pots. So, verse 5, she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now, it came to pass when the pots were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel, another pot. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So what happened? The oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. And so there's so many things in here. Um, talking about faith, I remember this verse in James. How many of you have read the book of James and thought James was a little mean? I, you know, actually Martin Luther said it shouldn't even be in the New Testament. Well, it, it, but James actually says this, you do not have because you do not ask. See, that woman was not afraid to start asking. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't, don't think your situation is hopeless, hopeless. Now, Elisha had to have enough creative faith to come up with this ridiculous plan. I mean, that's crazy. Okay, I got this oil and do what? Go through the neighborhoods. Go through the neighborhoods. Think about that. Okay, picture yourself at home. This is happening to you. Whose house are you going to first? Whose house are you going to first? Tell me, whose house are you going to first? Billy, Bob, Sarah, what, you know, Malachi, Mortimer, I don't know, Henrietta. What are you going to tell them? What would you say to them? Hey, uh, you got any empty jars or pots or wash tubs that I could borrow? Think, think this through. Think, think what faith looks like sometimes. Uh, uh, yeah, you never did bring my chainsaw back, so uh, uh, whatever, you know. So think about that. Wouldn't people ask you what you were going to do with them? Why do you want these? What would you tell them? I, I'd just make up some. Uh, we're... Uh, we uh, can and jelly. Now, I don't know, but 
No, you go to all of your neighbors. The whole neighborhood knows you are borrowing every empty pot or pan or 55-gallon drum or jar and taking it home. I don't know what you would say. It took faith to do that. I'm telling you, it took faith. They went out and did that. Maybe they saw those things full. I don't know, but I think that's an important concept of faith sometimes. Matter of fact, a lot of people, everybody in this room visualizes their future. Everybody in this room does, either negatively or positively or some mixture. But do not tell me you do not see in some way, shape, or form what's coming up. What else would anxiety be connected to? Come on, that's right. Go bar vessels. How would they explain what they wanted them for? How would that conversation go? Well, uh, this prophet came, and my kids were getting ready to go into slavery. And um, so I was asking him for help, and he said, listen, what do you have? And I said, well, I have this jar of oil. He said, well, here's what we're going to do. You see that jar of oil. Yes, you're going to pour it in pot after pot after pot after pot after pot after pot after pot so much that you can sell it, pay off your debt, and live on the rest. That's what we're going to do. Who would have believed that? But they did. Now, the interesting thing is the small jar dried up when there were no more empty containers. The widow and her sons determined the amount of the blessing. I'm not making that up. That's what happened. If they could have found a swimming pool somewhere, I don't know. Keep that oil coming. Now, here might be the most important thing I want to tell you today about your faith. Elisha told him this. Shut the door behind you. Isn't it interesting he would say that? Why would he say something like that? But he said, and I don't, I don't think he said anything by accident. I think he said, and set the full ones aside. Why would he even say that in advance? What difference did it make to him where they were, what they did with them? No, he, he was so much invested in this. He was so much believing God for this. He saw those full ones and wanted them to see it. So he said, you know, when they get full, make sure you push them out of the way. Doesn't make any sense otherwise. He is releasing a vision to them for their faith, something to tack onto so what they were believing for, they would have true, what is that word, expectancy for. Why do we expect bad things? Why don't we expect good things? I would rather be disappointed than have my expectations in the negative confirmed. That doesn't make any sense, but it's worth thinking about. Shut the door behind you. Let's say that together. Shut the door behind you. So I just was praying through this, Lord, come on, help me here. Then I began to say, here's what you could call that door. You could call that the behind door. That door that when you shut it, it prohibits Anything from behind you intruding into your now. It's the behind door. It's a door we have authority over called the, the behind us door. The door that keeps your past from determining your future. The door that you can close so what is back there will not or cannot define you. It's the door to the past. Here's what the prophet says. If you want to have faith, shut it. Shut that door. And I thought about this. You can't let your past to present determine your present and future. There are people within the sound of my voice and they're thinking, I tried faith, it doesn't work. Shut that door. Shut it. Yes, shut that door. It isn't helping you. 
Even the disciples messed up and missed it. God, Jesus turns bread into feed 5,000 people and they pass it out. He says, let's do it again. And they think, where are we going to get it? Your past can steal your miracle. Your past can steal your future. Your past can steal your healing. Your past can steal your destiny. Your past can steal every single thing you have. And the problem with it is that it does not even exist. It's a lie. It's a delusion. It's the devil's way of keeping you in something you don't belong in, which is some kind of bitterness or some kind of unbelief or some kind of a frustration or some kind of they're going to be now like they were back then, or it's all going to happen again, or it's going to be terrible, or, oh, you know what they did back there? They're going to do that up here. So why go on? Why go on? Shut the door! Stop's coming! (laughs) Oh, that felt so good. How many want to shut that door? Well, let's let's do a little prophetic act. This is stupid, but it might work. Who knows? Okay, we have all these jars, we're stepping, get up, what are you doing? Okay, we've stepped into that room for the miracle, and crouching at the door is, it's not going to work, you're a fool. Tell you what, dude, let's shut that door, just go shut that door. Boom. Shut that door. Okay. Good. Good. That's good. Did you go to church today? Yeah, I went. What'd you do? Shut the door. If you hear this, don't answer it. I'm preaching to myself, ladies and gentlemen. I am and everybody else. You know, the kingdom of God can manifest in many different ways and intensities. It can be righteousness, peace, and joy. Romans 14, 17, for that's what the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. It can be a healing. It can be a miracle. It can be supernatural provision. It can be unusual experiences. Even like the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus takes two disciples up. He tells them, some of you, won't die before you see the kingdom in full manifestation. The very next verse, there's a chapter heading, but he takes him up on that mount, and suddenly Jesus is glowing, whiter than launder's soap or whatever that is that can clean. And of all people, Moses and Elijah show up. What is up with that? And they actually talk about it, it says Jesus deceased. I think he was talking about the cross. And Peter says, hey, uh, we'll build you three huts here. We'll celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus, Moses, Elijah will be the best time we ever had. And that didn't work out. So read that. But essentially, but that's, that's, cra- that's crazy, right? Somebody starts glowing. Jesus starts glowing. People that are in heaven appear. They start talking, and the disciples are watching all this. Pretty interesting. Of course, neither Moses or Elijah had died. You remember how Moses had. Elijah hadn't, though. Anyway, another story. So the kingdom can manifest many different ways, many different intensities. And let me say this last thing, a little story, and then we'll shift. Some of you may have known Arthur Burt, but he was a very unusual traveling preacher from England. He died 
I don't know how many years ago, six or seven years ago, at about 104, he started preaching in a horse-drawn wagon or caravan. It was enclosed. He'd live in it. He'd drive this horse around and preach the gospel in England. And he'd have cereal for breakfast. And one of the places he was, um, one, one of his speaking engagements took him near this uh, dairy farm. And he got to know the owner of the dairy farm or the farmer. And the, the farmer said, do you eat breakfast in the morning for cereal? And he said, yes. He said, well, come over anytime, time. Get all the milk you want. So Arthur goes over there with a cup, a little coffee cup for his breakfast milk. So he walks over this huge dairy farm, and the farmer looks at him and looks at his cup, and he says, bucket or nothing? Arthur said, what? He said, bucket or nothing? Go big or go away. I'm not filling up that cup. Go get a bucket. Go get something worth filling. We, don't we need some of that kind of faith, bucket or nothing faith? Aren't we tired of that? Yeah, can I have a little bit, please? Help me, please. Oh, that's too big, okay. I don't know, and I'm not, I'm making fun of me. I'm, I want more. Who wants, come on. Who, who in here, we do this, we'll do it again. Stand up if you need God to touch you. Just stand up, please. For healing. Oh, there, Okay. Did some of you stand up who don't need a healing? Sit back down. I'm sorry. Sit back down. Okay, turn around, all of you cities, and look at these. Just reach your hands up. Let's just pray and let's ask God to heal these people. Can we do that? How does that work? All right, when you're standing there, or go, go get with them if they'll let you touch them. Do it appropriately. Go. Go. There's a lot of things. You can say, Jesus, we ask you to release your healing now. Why don't we say that one? But act like you really mean, I mean, you know, don't just repeat, but Jesus, we ask you now to heal this person. Yes. Holy Spirit, we partner with you just like you worked miracles through the hands of Paul. I don't believe you discriminate on the hands, but here we are in faith. In faith, we have laid our hands on these people. Father, work miracles now. Release healing virtue. Open up restrictions. I don't know. I felt like there was someone who, a heart maybe, there were restricted vessels or valves. I don't know how that works. Lord, um, for knee joint pain, all of that. Lord, for, I know in the natural, Lord, for cancer, we ask that you would heal now. Bring a miracle, Lord. We ask you to release it. Let that come right now. Lord, thank you. You healed Mike Dickerman, Lord. You did more than that. You healed a guy we weren't even praying for because that's how good you are. So we release by faith healing health. Lord, for financial miracles, people in here, maybe they need financial miracles. We ask, Lord, that you would do that as well. Give the breakthrough, Lord. Release the breakthrough, Lord. Lord, I know this is the kind of church we have that people have been beat up. They've come from other places. Lord, Broken hearts, um, uh, the stuff that happens in relationships, in churches, in families, in homes. Lord, we ask for a renewing of the mind, Lord, that people would begin to see with clarity any bitterness, any resentment, any anxiety would be released now just by an agreement. I release that. I let it go. I shut that door. I don't agree. I'd go on. I'm going to believe. Even if I fall flat on my face, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to believe. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. That's who I am. I'm a believer. Jesus is king. I'm a believer. If it doesn't work, I'll do it again. 
I'm a believer. Let's say that I am a believer in Jesus and he is the king. Release your kingdom power, Jesus, and touch us. Yes. Yeah, we don't need to rush right through this. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will just settle on people. He'll begin to work. We don't want to walk away from what he's doing. Increase your power, Lord. Lord, we have faith, not in a, not in a process, not in a formula. We have faith in you. We have faith in the person of Jesus Jesus of Nazareth, the one who died for us, the one whose blood justifies us, the one who rose from the dead, the one who is seated at the right hand of God, the one who sent back the Holy Ghost to empower, to heal, to restore us. That's who we believe in, Lord. Not in preachers and movements and talk and yak and all that. I'm, I'm even tired of sports talk. Lord, we want you. We want you. Oh, man, I went, I went to keep getting healed while I tell this little interesting anecdote. I went to the QT to get a drink, and I was next to this guy that did not look anything like a believer. And I liked him. I didn't know him, but I'd like to talk to strangers. It's fun. I said, hey, you a football fan? He turned to me and he said, no, I'm a Jesus fan. I thought, hello. I have just been partially shamed. <laughs> I'm a Jesus fan too, though. So <laughs> we had a little short conversation. Then when I was, he left, he turned to me and said, be faithful. He was like, four, he was like 17 years old. I thought, okay, I'm with it, man. I'll take it anyway and get it. All right, that's it. God bless you guys. We have healing teams for further ministry. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.